Chapter Six of Molly Brown's Freshman Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson. Molly Brown's Freshman Days by Nell Speed. Naughty Problems. I tell you, things do hum in this college, exclaimed Judy Keene, closing a book she had been reading and tossing it onto the couch with a sigh of deep content. I don't see how you can tell anything about it, Judy, said Nance severely. You've been so absorbed in the broad highway every spare moment you've had for the last two days that you might as well have been in Kalamazoo as in college. Nance, you do surely tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, said Judy good-naturedly. I know I have the novel habit badly. It's because I had no restraint put upon me in my youth, and if I get a really good book like this one, I just let duty slide. Why don't you put your talents to some use and write then, demanded Nance, who enjoyed preaching to her friends. Art is more to my taste, answered Judy. Well, art is long and time is fleeting. Why don't you get busy and do something, exclaimed the other vehemently. What do you intend to be? Judy had a trick of raising her eyebrows and frowning at the same time, which gave her a serio-comic expression and invested her most earnest speeches with a touch of humor. But she did not reply to Nance's question, having spent most of her life indulging her very excellent taste without much thought for the future. What do you intend to be? she asked presently of Nance, who had her whole future mapped out in blocks. Four years at college, two years studying languages in Europe, four years as a teacher in a good school, then as principal, perhaps, and next as owner of a school of her own. Why, I expect to teach languages, said Nance without a moment's hesitation. Of course, a teacher, I might have known, cried Judy. You've commenced already on me, your earliest pupil. Teacher, teacher, why am I so happy, happy, happy in my Sunday school? She broke off with her song suddenly and seized Nance's hand. Please, don't scold me, Nance, dear. I know life isn't all play, and that college is a serious business if one expects to take the whole four years course. I've already had a warning. It came this morning. It's because I've been cutting classes, and I have been entirely miserable. That's the reason I've been so immersed in the broad highway. I've been trying to drown my sorrows in romance. I know I'm not clever. Nonsense, interrupted the other impatiently. You are too clever, you silly child. That's what is the matter with you, but you don't know how to work. You have no system. What you really need is a good tutor. You must learn to concentrate. Concentrate, laughed Judy. That's something I never could do. As soon as I try, my thoughts go skylarking. How do you do it? Well, I sit very still and dig my toes into the soles of my shoes and my fingernails into the palms of my hands and say over and over the thing I'm trying to concentrate on. The girls were still laughing joyously when Molly came in. Her face wore an expression of unwanted seriousness, and she was frowning slightly. Three things had happened that morning which worried her considerably. The first shock came before breakfast, when she had looked in her handkerchief box where she kept her funds promiscuously mixed up with handkerchiefs and orris root sachet bags and found one crumpled dollar bill and not a cent more. There was a kind of blind spot in Molly's brain where money was concerned little of it as she had possessed in her life. She never could remember exactly how much she had on hand, and change was a meaningless thing to her. 
and now it was something of a blow to her to find that one dollar must bridge over the month's expenses or she must write home for more a thing she did not wish to do remembering the two acres of apple orchard which had been sunk in her education and it's all gone in silk attire and riotous living she said to herself for she had bought herself ten yards of a heavenly sky-blue crepey material which she and nance proposed to make into a grand costume also she had entertained numbers of friends at various times to sundays in the village one of the other of her triple worries was a note she had received that morning from judith blount and the third was another note about both of which she intended to ask the advice of her two most intimate friends what's bothering you child demanded judy quick to notice any change in her adored molly's face oh several things these two notes for one she drew two envelopes from her pocket and opening the first one began to read aloud dear miss brown since you come of a family of cooks and are expert on the subject i am going to ask you to take charge of a little dinner i am giving tomorrow night in my rooms to my brother and some friends i shall expect you to be chief cook but not bottle washer you'll have an assistant for that but i'd like you to wait on the table seeing you are so good at those things don't bother about cap and apron i have them yours with thanks in advance judith blount the note was written on heavy cream-colored paper with two greek letters embossed at the top in dark blue judith lived in the beta phi house which was divided into apartments and occupied by eight decidedly well-to-do girls the richest girls in college as a matter of fact it was called the millionaires club and was known to be the abode of snobbishness although molly who had been there once to a tea had been entirely unconscious of this spirit judy and nance were speechless with indignation after molly had finished reading the note what do you think of that she exclaimed breaking the silence it's a rank insult cried nance if you were a man you could challenge her to a duel cried judy but being a girl you have to take it out in ignoring her it's written in such a matter-of-fact way continued molly that i can't believe it's entirely unusual after sober second thought i believe i'll ask sally before i answer it speaking of angels there's sally cried judy as that young woman herself hurried past the door on her way to a class what is it make it quick i'm late now ejaculated sally popping her head in at the door with a smile on her face to counteract her abrupt manner who's in trouble now the three freshmen stood silently about her while she perused judith's note did you ever hear of such a thing burst out judy with hot indignation oh yes lots of times little one it's quite customary for freshmen to act as waitresses when girls in the older classes entertain in their rooms. The freshies like to do it because they get such good food. I do think this note is expressed, well, rather unfortunately. It has a sort of between-the-line superiority. But Judith is always like that. You just have to take her as you find her and ignore her faults. You'd better accept Molly with good grace. You'll enjoy the food, too. Tomorrow, let me see that's new england boiled dinner night isn't it you'll probably have beefsteak and mushrooms and grapefruit and ice cream and all the delicacies of the season very well if you advise it i'll accept like a lady said molly resignedly it's customary answered sally smiling cheerfully and waving her hand as she hurried down the hall well that's settled continued molly sighing somehow judith blount did get on her nerves now the other note is even more serious in a way listen to this before reading it, she carefully closed the door, drew the other girls into the far end of the room, and began in a low voice. Dear Miss Brown, 
may i have the pleasure of being your escort to the sophomore freshman ball let me know whether you intend to wear one of your cerulean shades the carriage will stop for us at eight o'clock you might leave the answer at my door tonight yours faithfully francis andrews the girls looked at each other in consternation what's to be done say you have another engagement advised judy who was not adverse at times to telling polite fibs in order to extricate herself from a difficulty but molly was the very soul of truth and even small fibs were not in her line hasn't anyone else asked you yet asked nance no you see it's a week off and i suppose they are just beginning to think of partners now all i can say is that if you do go with her you are done for announced nance solemnly molly sat down in the morris chair and wrinkled her brows i do wish she hadn't she said she just regards you as a sort of life preserver exclaimed judy she's trying to keep above the surface by holding on to you if i were you i wouldn't be bothered with her of course i know said molly that frances andrews did something last year that put her in the black books with her class she's trying to live it down and they are trying to freeze her out nobody has anything to do with her and she's not invited to anything except the big entertainments like this i can't help feeling sorry for her and i don't see how it would do me any harm to go with her but i just don't want to go that's all i'd rather take a beating than go well then you are a chump for considering it exclaimed judy whose self-indulgent nature had little sympathy for people who would do uncomfortable things then on the other hand continued molly suppose my going would help her a little don't you think it would be mean to turn her down oh say you think i ought to do it because i'm going to hard as it seems nance went over and put her arms around her friend quite an unusual demonstration with her while judy seized her hand and patted it tenderly really molly you are quite the nicest person in the world she exclaimed then she added by the way molly can you spare the time to tutor me for a month or so i don't know what the rates are but we can settle about that later nance tells me i must get busy or else take my walking papers i'd be afraid of a strange tutor i'm a timid creature but i think i might manage to learn a few things from you molly dear did judy understand the look of immense relief which instantly appeared on molly's sensitive face if she did she made no sign now don't say no she went on i know you are awfully busy and all that but it would be just an act of common charity say no cried molly laughing lightly i can hardly wait to say yes and she cheerfully got out six pairs of muddy boots from the closet enveloped herself in a large apron slipped on a pair of old gloves and went to work to clean and black them molly had become official boot black at queen's cottage at ten cents a pair when they were not muddy and fifteen cents when they were when she had completed her lowly job she sat down at her desk and wrote two notes one was to judith blount in which she accepted her invitation to wait at table in the most polite and correct terms and signed her name mary carmichael washington brown the second letter, which is to Frances Andrews, was also a note of acceptance. Then Molly removed her collar, rolled up her sleeves, kicked off her pumps, a signal that she was going to begin work, and sat down to cram mathematics, the very hardest thing in life to her and the subject which was to be a stumbling block in her progress always. End of chapter 6